Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We are studying through the book of Jeremiah. We come to chapter 33 of Jeremiah. And God, in the third verse, just the first half of the verse, I'd like to unpack with you a little bit. In the first half of the verse, he says something to his people. He says, call to me and I will hear you and I will answer you. Now, the reason this is really significant is because previously he actually said to Jeremiah, these people are so wicked. These people are not listening. These people have gone after other gods. Jeremiah says, don't even pray for them. I will not listen. So here, God, when they are on the verge of utter destruction, Babylon is attacking them, coming after them, and God, in the midst of their darkest moments, says to them, call on me, and I will hear you, and I will answer you. Now, as I was reading through that and thinking through that, I realized what we're really talking about is the restoration of a marriage. Now, we've been doing some study together on Tuesday nights of communication in marriage. And this marriage counselor, who's an expert in the field, says that when marriages fall apart, they fall apart usually because of a breakdown in communication. Now, communication is the key to being able to enhance your relationship, to feel close to somebody. It's the way to sustain a relationship, or a breakdown in communication becomes the demise of the relationship. So when you think about, when you think about communication, a lot of times with the people we're closest to, we struggle to convey what you know, we really want or need either from the relationship or from the person. I often have people come for counseling and they'll say to me, I can never say the right thing with him or her. Everything I ever say gets criticized. I can never do the right thing. Sometimes people have said this to me, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around this person because everything I say gets jumped on. Well. If you think through this with me, if, if you feel that way about somebody, if you feel like you cannot convey with comfort and freedom and security what you really need, what you really want, what's really going on in your life, eventually you just shut down. One of the things that counselors will tell you is that all of us, whether it's in nonverbal communication clues or whether it's actually the words or the tone, whatever it might be, we're always looking for signs of love. We want to know if you understand me. We want to know, am I safe with you? Am I accepted by you? But in relationships where the communication is broken down, we don't get signs of love. We get signs of disapproval. And eventually, if you get enough sense of disapproval from a person, you'll erect like self-protection, guards up, walls up, and you'll eventually stop listening. Well, one of the reasons is because if somebody's always disapproving of you, 
and they're close to you or you're committed to them or whatever it might be, it destabilizes your identity. To feel misunderstood by a person you love is, is destructive to your ego. And so the idea for many of us is actually we think we're caring for a person by criticizing them. One of the stories in the book that we're reading is of a woman says to her husband, do you really need that second bowl of ice cream? And uh, in her, see, in her mind, she's like, I don't want you to die. I love you. I want you to live. And in his mind, he's like, she doesn't understand me. She's criticizing me. This isn't that she cares for me. I feel judged. I feel distant. And I feel misunderstood. Now, are you guys incredibly quiet because you're feeling guilty right now? <laughs> well, you need to understand communication then. So let's do a little communication 101, a simple way to look at it. Uh, I, these aren't technical terms, but three levels. So there's the grunt level. Most men have mastered the grunt level. Tim, Tim Allen on tool time or whatever it might be, you know. Uh, I mean, you, have, you come home and say, how was your day? Fine. You know, that's the grunt level. I, I am a master of grunt level on my texting. Because I only use one thumb and I'm real slow and my thumb doesn't really fit. So yes, no is usually my answer on texting. But the journalist level, is a, it's, a, it's a higher level. But think about in terms of intimacy, if all you do is you go through almost like in a relationship, like you're in a business. Okay, here's our to-do list. Here's this, here's that. In, in essence, you're not drawing any closer. You're avoiding catastrophe in terms of maybe getting everything done you need to get done. But you don't feel any sense that you know this person better or that they know you better. And sometimes the journalist level can really be very off-putting if you come home and all of a sudden this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and what are you going to do about it? And then you're like, I don't feel close. To, no, you know, at that moment you're going, oh, I feel so much love for you. I feel so happy with you. I feel so understood right now. Right then you feel like all I am is a fix it or a problem solver or whatever it might be. And so there's no closeness. You, under, you understand if all you have in communication with someone you say you love is a grunt level or a journalist fix it level, then there's no intimacy. And we didn't marry to fix the dishwasher or the washing machine or to take care of your kids uh, kind of a thing. We, we married to be intimate with one another. And so it has to be all the way to a feelings level. In other words, I have to feel safe enough with you that if I risk being vulnerable, that you can handle it. If that feelings level is not achieved, there will be no intimacy. And it's the demise of not only in a marriage, but friendship, even uh, close working relationships can fall apart because if someone doesn't know you better, then they don't know you and can't trust you. And so relationships really live or die on the basis of communication. And so God comes to his people, and you must understand, God is coming to his people 
having made known to them that he designed them with intense spiritual passion. He designed them with drive. He designed them for intimacy. And what's happened is they've taken all their spiritual passion and they've invested it in other things. And so instead of investing and and giving their spiritual passion to the Lord alone, they've given it to every other thing. And there's been a breakdown. And God, you see, when God speaks to us, he doesn't speak to us as the judge or the scorekeeper or the rule keeper. He speaks to us as husband or father. And he doesn't just say, you break my law. He says, you've committed spiritual adultery. I was driving along, um, coming back from a wedding, and, and uh, a Chicago song came on from the 70s. You are, you are my love and my life. You are my inspiration. I'm not going to sing it, but, uh, but here's a man talking about a woman who he's probably not even with anymore. But he's expressing exactly what the Lord is asking of us. You see, I can't be somebody's love and somebody's life. I can't be their inspiration. But he can be. See, if I make somebody else that place that only he has, I'm committing adultery with the one who really loves me and who really is my life. And yet, even though these people have committed such adultery against him, he still calls them to himself out of love. Eugene Peterson writes it this way. He says, love, yes, God loves us, but his love is passionate and seeks faithful, committed love in return. God does not want tame pets to fondle and feed. He wants mature, free people who will respond to him in authentic individuality. For that to happen, there must be honesty and truth. The self must be toppled from its pedestal. There must be pure hearts and clear intelligence, confession of sin, and commitment in faith. This is what he's asking for when he says, you know, call to me. So, In a way, you find yourself at times in this relationship with God in places you don't want to be. And as a matter of fact, with people you don't want to be with. Hopefully that's not true this morning. (laughs) But that's called exile. And Jeremiah is a book to exile. So there are people who don't want to be where they are, and they don't want to be with the people they're with. So exile forces a decision about your response to God. He loves you, but He'll still put you in exile. He'll still let you take detours. You'll still find yourself at times in a place where you go, how did I get here? And in those moments, there's a decision that has to be made. Will I focus my attention on what is wrong with the world and feel sorry for myself? What I found over the years is that some emotions are worth my time and some are not. Self-pity is not an emotion that ever gets me anywhere. As a matter of fact, the greater my pity for myself, the longer I stay 
in the situation that I hate with the attitude. Now, one of the things that this talks about is I can focus my energies on how I can live at my best in the place where I find myself. I, I know some of you will get this. Some of you will wrestle with this. God has called you to excellence. He has not settled for mediocrity. The words of the Lord are things like abundance, greatness. Do you know Jesus did everything that he did so that you would become the greatest version of yourself? What do you think bearing fruit is? Bearing fruit is not you being mediocre. It's you being what you were designed to be. And there's a greatness to that. And Jesus has given you everything that you need to be that great and excellent person. But you have to decide, I'm going to do this. So in order to do it, you have to focus your energy on how you can best live where you are, not thinking through or, or making the easy step of just complaining. See, daily we face decisions on how to respond. What happens to you, you don't always have a choice over, but how you react to it is always your choice. I don't like this. I want to be where I was 10 years ago. How can you expect me to throw myself into what I don't like? That would be sheer hypocrisy. That's a very New York way of thinking. I can't be fake. What sense is there in taking risks? And tiring myself out among people I don't even like in a place where I have no future. Maybe that sounds like your job. I'm not sure. I will do my best. This is an alternative way to look at it. I will do my best with what is here. God is the God of this place. God is here with me. These people are people that God loves. I will live out the will of God here even though I am full of fear and have much to learn. Change is hard. Building relationships, developing intimacy with new people is difficult and risky. But if that is what it means to be alive and human, I will do it. I don't know that I've ever seen it written better than that. That's Eugene Peterson writing that. See, this is the choice you get to make. You can every day complain about what you have. And guess what? When you complain, you get more to complain about. Complaining is a negative prayer that's answered by the enemy. He knows where to treat, tweak you when you complain. You've seen, he, he can see clearly. That's a place where you're no longer or not dead to self, and he can, he can constantly have access to you through that complaining. But if you choose, and Fenelon was one of the great writers of The Deeper Life, he says there are two kinds of people. Some look at life and complain of what is not there. Others look at life and rejoice in what is there. Will we live on the basis of what we don't have or on what we do have? Now, you're going to be mad at me this week because crap is going to happen to you. And suddenly you're going to go, uh-oh, what did he say I'm supposed to do with this? So what you're going to find out is your default setting. When the challenges come, when the obstacles come, are you going to immediately say, why does this always happen to me? Why do I never get a break? Or some of you say, I take two steps forward and I take three steps back. 
And for the first time for many of you, you will have a bell ringing in your head and it'll be my voice saying, that's your negative setting. That's your self-pity. Do you really want to stay there? And you're not going to be comfortable. And I'm going to, I'm going to tweak you myself all week long. Because you, what's going to happen is you're going to be aware that this is what you do. Becoming aware then allows you to choose to deny the negative and begin to step in and say, Lord, I am here because you put me here. This is where I will live out your will. This is the people that you love. But more than that, you're with me and you love me. And when you do that, friends, what will happen is either you will go through a valley. But the old saints used to say you go through a cloud. It's called the cloud of unknowing. And it's the only way that you can get to the other side that God has for you. You have to, you know, sometimes they call it a cloud because you can't see far in front of you and you can't see behind you to go back either. You have to keep going forward. So in Jeremiah 33, 3, here is that invitation. Come with me, Jesus says. He says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. See, what has to happen here is your prayer life has to be based on faith. It has to be based on trust. It has to be based on hope. So many of us waste valuable emotions saying, oh God, please listen to me. He said, call on me. God, can I, can I tell? Of course you can tell him. You can speak from a place of hope. If you are calling on him, he's listening. You say, well, I don't deserve it. These people didn't deserve to call on him. He called them whores. He called them spiritual adulterers. He said, you have no basis for any of this except that I have said you can call on me. And then when you say, oh God, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Again, you're not praying a prayer that reflects hope. It's a breakdown in communication. If you call on him, he's listening. When you ask, He answers. He may not answer the way you want. Because He's God and you're not. But He's always answering. See, what happens is God gives in the most desperate situations, He gives His promises. He gives His precious promises. He says, this is what I will do. You don't have, some to, you don't have to ask Him to do what He's already promised to do. When God says it, it's already done. It's already a reality. All He's asking is that you activate the reality by communicating with Him. But communicating with Him in hope. Communicating according to the certainties that He has given to you. You see, when He says it, it's already real. It's already true. You then activate it by faith. And the minute you believe, you begin to experience it, even if you haven't seen it yet. See, belief isn't about sight. It's about believing sometimes that, that which is unseen is more real than that which is seen. But here's, here's the thing. When you go to prayer and you say, oh God, please listen to me, you're already losing. There's already a breakdown. 
If you go to God and say, oh, answer me, answer me, answer me, instead of saying, God, you've already said you will answer me. So I'm going to look for the answer. I'm going to look to see how you, how you provide. See, when you begin to pray out of the knowledge of God's promises, then you begin to have a, a strength. You begin to have a joy. You begin to have an experience of what you've asked for. See, in the midst of their most desperate times, God gave them himself. He gave them his promises. The word of the Lord that said, you will go into exile, now is the word of the Lord that says, you will come home. With the same certainty that they went into exile, now they can live with that certainty while they're in exile that they won't stay here, they're coming home. Now, two of you got that. What's going on with the rest of you? Think through this with me. See, what, what, what's going on when you're anxious is you're not, you're not believing. You're not holding on to a promise. You don't even have a promise that you're holding on to because every promise of God is already reality. So when you're living in anxiety, you're saying either, God, you're a liar or I know what's best for me. Because you're saying, I, and you're allowing yourself to live in an emotion that will defeat you instead of a hope that will sustain you. I don't know anybody who can stay around an anxious person. I, I consider anxiety be, to be like a tornado. When people are anxious, nobody is worried as they are. Nobody's as responsible as they are. Nobody can do enough. For the anxious person, therefore, they always feel isolated and alone. And until you're willing to say, wait a minute, I'd rather have hope than anxiety. I'd rather have a life based on the promises of God instead of my own worry and anxiousness. Listen, not only does anxiety keep you from God, it keeps you from other people. You can't be close to a worrier. The other, the, other, the other negative emotion, anger. You cannot trust an angry person. Even if they are charming and they are loving to you, when you don't do what they want you to do, they will turn that anger on you. And when you listen to a person that everybody has done wrong, everybody has been a, just a total jerk in their lives, and now you're in their life, guess what? You're the next jerk. Are you hearing me? You see, the scriptures are very practical if you'll let them come in. And it says, look, you want to base your life on anger? You'll be alone. You want to base your life on anxiety? You'll be alone. But if you want to begin to base your life on hope, not only will you get God, you'll get all these other people who will be intimate and able to be intimate with you. I'm giving you some kind of million-dollar advice right now. For free, pretty much. <laughs> so listen to what God says. Here's how He answers. I will bring to them health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. Anybody in here say, I'd like health and healing? Anybody in here say, I'd like abundance of prosperity and security? Okay, some of you raise your hand like you're going to get a trickle. 
Those who went like that all out, you can have the abundance, you know? Most of us are like, most of us are like okay, I'll, I'll test it out and see. Well, you give the Lord an inch, he'll take a mile. But if you really, if, if this resonates with you, listen, look at what he says. I'll restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. I'll rebuild them as they were at first. What an amazing promise. People come to me all the time and they'll say, you know, I'd like to pray, but I'm, I just don't feel worthy. I just don't feel deserving of praying. Do you understand? He has spent an entire book saying that these people were whores. There's not a lot of worth there. There's not a lot of value there. So they're not coming to him, and he's not doing this because they deserve it. He's doing it because he's good, and he's loving, and he is merciful. Notice what it says. I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me. They don't deserve it because they have all kinds of guilt. They have all kinds of sin. But he says, I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and even their rebellion against me. You understand, you're not the only one that doesn't deserve it. No one deserves it. We're not better than some, anybody else. We're as bad as everybody else. And so what happens is we come not deservingly, but we come because he invites us. We come because he says, come. And then he says, then this city shall be a name of joy to me and a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. What I'm trying to get across to you is that when you really live your life in intimate marriage with God, when he is your love and your life and your inspiration, then there is a certainty that comes and the hope that you have is not wishful thinking, but certainty. And God wanted so much us to understand that he actually asked his prophet to do a drama for us. And the drama is this, that the Babylonians were coming. The greatest army on earth, the most powerful army on earth was coming. I mean, there's archaeological evidence of how they wiped out everything in their pathway. As a matter of fact, they found an archaeological, in an archaeological dig, they found this old charred, pottery and in it was a note from a commander who had sent to this village word saying do you have any signal of the Babylonians well they never sent a signal back because the Babylonians had wiped the army the village and the army off the face of the earth and so here is coming into the city this mighty horde this this incredible army that's coming to destroy the walls of Jerusalem to destroy the temple everything guess where Jeremiah is when this happens, he's in jail. They have put him in prison because they don't want to hear any more from him. And they've locked him away and hidden him away. Now, the story that really is so powerful here is a cousin of his or a family member of his comes to him while he's in jail and says, buy my field. Only family would do that to you, right? So in the town of Anathoth, which is the town or the village that Jeremiah came from, the village that tried to kill him, now his cousin comes and says, buy my field for 17 shekels. I don't know how much 17 shekels, but it was, it was full price. Okay, so it wasn't a discount. It wasn't a family discount. Plus, an invading army has taken over the village. 
So it's not worth 17 shekels. It's worth nothing. Right? There's no title in, in Judah that's going to stand up now that the emperor or the, the, the leader of the Babylonian Empire has now taken over all turf. So do you get the picture? He's asking him to give him money for a worthless title. And you know what God says? Buy it. And Jeremiah goes, can I at least haggle with him? Can I at least get it down to 10 shekels or 12 or something? And God says, no, pay full price. So he calls his scribe Baruch in. They witness it. They file it. They do everything that's to be done. And then God says to Jeremiah, here's why I'm having you do this. Because one day that deed will be good. And the land will be yours. Because as surely as I spoke of exile, I am now speaking with certainty. And you can buy the field. Because it isn't going to be the Babylonians. It's going to be yours. Do you understand what has to happen for that field to actually, for that title to mean something? The greatest empire on earth, the greatest emperor will have to be overthrown. Another empire will have to come in and that empire will have to be very amiable towards the Jewish people. And they will have to give the resources and the money and the authority in order to rebuild what had been destroyed. And yet God says, I will make that as certain as you are making certain that this property belongs to you. Come on, that's pretty good. And then he says this, because this is what we need to hear. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? So when we call on the Lord, as he's invited us to do, and we call believing he's listening, and when we seek his blessing, knowing that he answers us, when we cry out to him, what he says in this promise that he's made to us is that he will answer us in ways unknown to us. That's why when you pray and you tell him how to answer, you're a fool. Because he has answers that you can't possibly know. And he's saying here in this situation, the problem is so impossible, it can only be answered by the heavenly, your heavenly Father. Some of you might either face a situation like that or have faced it or will face it. But here's the deal. Buy the field. Activate the faith. Don't just sit there going, God, if you destroy the Babylonians and you bring the Medes and the Persians into place and then Cyrus gets to be king and then Daniel comes and, you know, I mean, Nehemiah comes and Ezra comes, then I will buy the field. No, buy the field. Buy the field because nothing... It's too hard for him. But when you keep back and you linger back and you hold back and you never activate it by faith, then you never see the promises fulfilled in hopeless situations. See, our God not only promises in hopeless situations, he promises impossible answers. All right, this part I really want you to think with me, okay? 
I mean, it's easy when it says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great things. How many of you would like to see some great things? All right, I've seen some great things. I want to see more great things. I want to see great things for the rest of my life. My mind can wrap around that. But then when he says, great and hidden things. See, most of the time I just go, God, just give me the great ones. I, I want the great ones. But I had never really studied deeply into what does he mean when he says hidden things. There's a, there's a Hebrew word here that's fairly unique. As a matter of fact, it only shows up in maybe another place in the, in the I think it's in Numbers of Deuteronomy, I'm not sure, but um, maybe even in Joshua. So here's, here's the word, it actually means walled up things. So things that are walled up. In other words, it goes back to when God told the Israelites to go into the promised land and they came back and they said, but the cities have walls. They are walled up cities and we can't win. We can't access those cities because of the walls. And so God here uses that same word again. And he says, there are things that he has as a reality for you. There are things that are already true, but they're walled up. And they are inaccessible except through intimacy in prayer. You see, when you, you take your detour and you're over here and you go, how did I get over here? Why did I make those decisions? Why did I choose that marriage partner? Why did I go into that career? Why did I spend that money on that house? Or why did I do this or that? And you get way out of alignment and you've just been doing your own thing and you find yourself in an impossible situation. God says, call on me in your exile. Call on me in your detour. But don't just grunt at me. Don't just give me the journalistic thing about how bad your life is. Open up your heart to me. Make yourself accessible to me. And then I will take the walled up things, the impossible things, and I will make them accessible to you. If you take it even another step, this is really, in a sense, it's the city of your future. It's, the where, it's where every means and resource you need to become who God has destined you to be is walled in. You don't get it by working harder. You don't get it by trying harder, being more creative, by being independent. You only get it when you say, Lord, the desired future you have for me is the desired future I have for me. And you yield your dreams you yield your resources, you yield your situation to him. And then what he does is he takes what is already real of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, which is walled up. And he brings those realities into your present. And then he makes a pathway to your future. So that your destiny that you can't get to on your own, even though he'll let you discover what an idiot you are. <laughs> by your mistakes, by your bad ways of doing things, he'll let you go to Babylon. But he always wants to bring you home. 
But the things that bring you home are not readily apparent. They are walled up things. And they're only accessed by God. And only accessed through prayer. And it has to be heart prayer. Can't just be list prayer. Can't just be, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food kind of stuff. Or was good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Whatever it is. So here's the, I mean, here's the thing. You can absolutely have certainty about this. Even if you have screwed up and messed up and you're in a far country, it doesn't matter. He's the one inviting you to come. He's the one calling you to ask. And He's the one who will answer. And, and how do I have such certainty? It's because He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, if He said, I will call on you if you love me, then I'd be in trouble. But He says, call on me because I have always loved you. See, an everlasting love is an unconditional love. It has no beginning, in a sense, and it has no end to it. It didn't start when you gave your life to Jesus. It started before there even was a world that had been formed. God loved you before the foundation of the world. And so, even when your life is over, God will continue loving. And, and Paul expressed it this way. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Not even death nor life itself. That's why he has to become my love, my life, my inspiration. Will you stand with me? Would you close your eyes with me? There are some ways in which I can give you words to say, but it has to be your heart. I've watched people uh, use marriage techniques and their marriage actually got worse because they were not genuine. And this hurting spouse usually could tell that this was only a temporary fix and that they were going to go back to the bad ways. I can give you the words and I will walk you through some words today, but it has to be your heart. He's not telling me to call on him for you. He's telling you to call on him for you. And he's telling you to call on him in a new way, saying, Lord, I know you're listening. Lord, I know you're answering. And so I'm going to invite you to make that declaration with me. Will you say this? Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And I receive. And I receive. Your, invitation your invitation to call on you. Call on you. I, repent I repent of unbelief, unbelief. and doubt, doubt that, you were to me. that you were listening to me. I declare today you will answer me. And you will show me great things. And you will make an access to the inaccessible things. 
The impossible things will be answered with impossible promises. I, I'm going to ask you to do something as we finish this prayer together. I, I sometimes like to like visualize that I'm putting a stake in the ground. That I'm making a decision and I'm never turning back from. I think today, I feel the anointing just powerfully of the Lord on that word, the walled off things. They're for you. In a sense, that part of, of God's provision, that walled off place, it can, I don't know how, but it seems it can end up never being accessed. We have not because we ask not, Scripture says. And scripture says the key to the walled off place is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Even the definition of faith, faith is the conviction of things hoped for. So the hope is there. So I'm asking you, I, I know, I mean, it's a normal Sunday, but I don't feel normal today. I feel like the Holy Spirit is really powerfully here today. And I'm asking that you would put a stake in the ground and say, I will experience the walled off things. But that means you have to get past the grunting, complaining, get back past the fix it, God, here's my journal of all wrongs. And you have to go, here's my heart. I will do your will where I am. I will invest. I will risk. I will live for you. If you're willing to do that, let's say this together. This day, this day I, access, I access by faith, by faith in, hope, in hope the inaccessible things. The inaccessible what, is behind the wall what is behind the wall is meant for me. Meant for me. I open my heart, open my, heart my life, to an intimate relationship with God. The, the impossible will be possible because nothing is too hard for God. Now, as we do that, maybe you need to see the places where you need to see the walls come down. I mean, it could be personal things. It could be family things. Sometimes... Our desire is, Lord, would you, would you reach our kids? Would you reach our family? Sometimes it's, Lord, would you give me a breakthrough at my job? Whatever it might be, nothing is too small for God and nothing is too big for God. Lord, we seal what you're doing today. It's hard to let you go. I can feel you so close. Hard to let you go, but we have to let others come in. So, Lord, we seal what you're doing now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, it's great being here with you today. We'll see you next week. God bless you.